Hello and welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast, where we connect industry leaders to discuss experiences, challenges and successes in the game industry. I'm Adam and you're, I'm your host for today and I'm joined by Alan Yeo, Krista Carlson, Johan Lundmark and Michael Carnell to discuss the art of art management volume two. Before we jump into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions of who you are and what you do. Michael, do you want to kick us off? Yes, so I'm Michael. I work as a development and production craft director at EA Dice here in Stockholm. Nice. Krista? Yeah, I'm uh, Krista Carlson uh, in Stockholm, working at Snowborn Games as an art director since two years. Nice. Uh, Alan? Hi, I'm Alan. I'm an art director of uh, Avalanche Studios. Um, to be precise, the division called uh, Systemic Reaction. And finally, but not least, Johan. Yeah, hi guys. So I'm uh, Johan. I'm an uh, art director at uh, Ubisoft Stockholm. Awesome. As always, you've each brought a question for discussion relevant to the art of art management. As usual, I'll work my way around the room for each of you to pose your question and your reasoning behind it. And then each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So let's start with Michael. What's your question and what do you mean by that? So my question is based around skills and learning and that sort of stuff. Um, because we're in an industry that is constantly evolving. Tools uh, kind of pop up all the time, new techniques, new workflows. And uh, it's so important for our teams to kind of be abreast of all the latest um, sort of developments in the industry. So my question is, how do you create a learning culture in an art team? So what I mean by that is kind of like how we identify skill gaps, um, how we set aside time in production to actually learn new things and develop skills uh, that's not necessarily directly related to um, what is happening right now, but more for the future. And then also, how do we you know, try to train people? Do we do lectures or workshops or learning by doing, you know, what kind of examples uh, do we have where we can help people learn and develop their skills? Nice. Uh, does anyone want to answer that question first? Well, I don't think I have a particular answer, but I have some thoughts and experiences of how it's been where I've been before. And um, since we're working in an industry where most people I've met at least really have a passion for what they do, they also have a passion for learning uh, and being inspired. And um, that goes for new tools or new techniques or new artists or new styles or, or new genres or whatever it is. Uh, so in most cases where you bring up a suggestion to do like having a lecturer or a course or going to a festival or something it's uh, always almost always uh, uh, praised upon and uh, uh, people really want to do that and develop themselves and also trigger each other or teach each other and previously on a different um, different work uh, or job that I had we uh, had weekly like Fridays show and tell sessions where everyone was invited and show whatever they wanted and uh, sharing knowledge uh, about uh, things that they had done or things they were inspired by uh, so I think <clears throat> we are a bit lucky in that sense uh, in the industry that we work in because uh, most people are really motivated Good answer. Uh, Alan, do you want to go next? Yes. Um, when I 
heard these questions, I kind of like uh, think of it in the uh, in the two parts, right? So the first part is that um, how a company or a studios uh, establish a system to actually uh, raise the competence of the artists, right? What have the studios done in place for them to do to, to to do it? And another part of the the question is that uh, as an art director or the the art or the team manager, uh, what have you done or have you done enough? Uh, to give a space for the artist to actually grow, right? So um, let's go on to the first part that I'm trying to say here is that um, one thing that I experienced myself is that um, the company actually has a very uh, robust and also very um, uh, good and flexible uh, system where uh, artists are being uh, put into a, a, a track, a, a craft, crafting tracks, right? So your skill sets is being compartmentalized. Um, if you are good at hard surface, you have a team for that, you have a track for that. If you're good at concept art, you have a track for that. And each of the track actually has the, 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 the track leaders. And those track leaders, uh, the, the, their goal and their purpose uh, to make sure everybody under the tracks uh, get to expose themselves, get exposed to all the new stuff that's being learned, and then uh, budget is being approved by the company. This is why I say is that if the company recognizes that growing the artist is very, very important, there should be a budget for that, right? So each budget uh, will allow the, the track, uh, the, 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 the artist to, to buy uh, online courses, uh, to buy books and everything like that. So this is on a very uh, fortunate event because uh, not every studio establishes this way, right? But when this is not happening, and there's also a, a, um, a situation where companies just want to make games, but that doesn't mean that uh, art director have nothing to, uh, basically says that art director still have some tools to use uh, to, to actually help the artist, right? So what have the art director done or the manager to, to help on that is that what I, Thing is a uh, regular one-on-one uh, -on -one checkup is very, very important. Um, what I personally done uh, in the past is that um, the in the one-on-one, -on -one, I also uh, want to talk about um, how you want to grow um, in terms of your skill sets by the end of the, the cycle, the performance cycle. So it's not just uh, you're doing, you, you have done well, uh, these are the things that's not good enough and things like that. No, it's more like, can you plan step by steps by the end of the cycle? Um, you can actually learn a skills or reach a goal. And this is this this these goals needs to be broken down. So every two weeks, one-on-one, -on -one, you need to talk about how far have you gone into these new skills? You know, have you taken steps to learn it? Um, um, what kind of like workshops? Uh, uh, do you need approval for the budget for that? You know, things like that. So I would say that. Um, there are many ways an art director can help uh, when the company is not actively pursued for this uh, competence, so-called competence uh, advancement uh, track, right? So um, what I have done personally uh, or observed um, is that um, uh, you can also encourage um, the, the, the artist to actually uh, uh, initiate something. So it's not necessary that you have to go into workshops or to learn something. It's so definite ways of learning new things. Sometimes all you need to do is just a push. For example, 
um, what we have done is we we actually uh, engage with um, a great artist to come over and give like a three days workshop. So um, on uh, on theory, it's not going to uh, provide much value for the artist to learn anything definite, but it will help the artist to inspire the artist. It kickstarts something. So uh, uh, one of the um, things that we have learned, uh, we, we have experienced before is that we have uh, uh, a very good artist uh, from Blue Sky Studios that came in, teaches us mixed media. So you, you don't just draw, but you can try to you know use the paper mediums and, and to express yourself. And one of the artists actually learned about this, inspired, and now uh, she become like one of the like greatest and mixed media artists I ever seen, right? So um, the the sense of learning can be invoked and inspired by just you know that showing them uh, where you can be, where you can go to, right? So um, yeah, this is something that I would like to share. That was a really good uh, in-depth answer, Aaron. I like that. Uh, internal sort of uh, building on skills. I like that. Um, so, Johan, what's your answer to that? Uh, yeah, I think a lot of good uh, answers already. But I think to me, uh, I, I think it kind of goes back to what what is it that you want uh, as a leader or as a company? I think you need to kind of figure that out first before you can because culture is, you know, it's about identity and it's about kind of striving towards a goal and it's about having something in common and understanding for that goal. So I think uh, if you figure that out, I think you're on a good path towards setting that culture because I think learning can be a lot of different things, right? It can be, uh, like Alan was saying, it could be, uh, you know, we're making the most realistic graphics in the industry, for example. And then that is the game you're making as well. And then you will have a kind of, natural capacity for learning new tricks and because i think typically artists are very they want to be the best right i i'm yet to come across someone who's like you know i'm fine being number eight it's it's good <laughs> i think typically everyone's like i saw this new technique i'm gonna try it and i think then it's about how you make room for that person to use that uh technique or or whatever in a meaningful way so um, I think it has a lot to do with, with what you want to do as a leader or for, for your company. Um, and then I fully agree with you, Ellen, about the kind of more uh, like tangential learnings. Like if you want to do like a croquis or you know, oil painting or sculpting or whatever, I think that can also be super helpful to offload uh, from what you're doing in the projects. Uh, but then I think also as a studio or as a leader, you need to make sure that there is like actual time to do that because otherwise I think people will see through you um and you're just going to be in trouble right then you're the ping pong guy when <laughs> when you've been crunching for three three months which is not good uh so yeah i think that's my answer i think uh figure out who you are as a studio or as a team uh, and i think that will help you uh figure out how to get to the culture of learning nice so uh, michael what do you think of those uh, answers to your question they were terrible no i'm just kidding uh <laughs> great answers um and obviously it is a very broad question and I, I agree uh, with uh, exactly what you said you want about you know setting the goals for whatever you're trying to achieve so obviously that would be in most cases very connected to the project or the product that you're working on what I find is often we as, as an industry sometimes it's easy to lump people into different you know brackets of crafts so for instance we might have someone working within UI or 2D 
for instance. And it's very you know, easy on when you when you're planning on paper, it's you know one person does that job, but then the job itself can entail so many different aspects of say you know say take UI as an example. You know there's both iconography and there's you know motion graphics and there's implementation and then there's you know uh, you know a lot of different you know uh, kind of mo uh, visual targets and you know all that kind of stuff um and different people depending on how especially when you have larger teams different people will be good in different areas and you know trying to get a better overview of where people are currently lacking and then how to build upon those skills i think that makes it easier when you're trying to consider like who do we need on this project how many people do we need how do we staff the project um so we have a team that you know, complements each other uh johan looks like you've got a point you want to make yeah no i was i i think that was a really good uh point from from michael that, because i think that what you're talking about is also because uh, if you can do that i think you also create awareness which also is super important right you create awareness of what other people are going through in their daily work and also then understanding to why some things happen in a certain order or what happens on the first. And I think that also gives you access to, you know, better flowing sprints or product. Like you get you get to your goals faster. Um, so I, 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 I agree. I think it was. Yes, I agree with you. It was a good point. Nice. So uh, Krista, let's move on to uh, your question next. All right. <clears throat> yeah, so quality and deadlines that's like the eternal battle it feels like and uh, where where do you draw the line um i am um, like i said before since most people i work with are really passionate about what they do they they want to make every pixel shine and uh, sometimes or most often there is not really room for that or the time for make everything perfect and how do you determine when good is good enough uh, from a product standpoint or from a user standpoint i would say so will the user actually perceive what these last 10 percent that you want to put in or is 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 the value still going to be there if you decide to this is where it uh, is good enough for for our product. Okay, so does anyone want to answer that question first? I mean, when you're out of time. <laughs> uh, Alan, sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, I would like to answer this because um, I personally I have a practice which is I started to, to practice and learn about this technique uh, since I started my career until now which uh, I wouldn't say never fails me, but it helps me to focus very well. It's to take notes of yourself. Um, so how, how do I determine uh, my work is done? So because I uh, initially I, I started as a 3D artist, so as you know that everything can be polished and polished, you know, and add more polygons here, get more details over there. But what I did is that uh, recognize where's the deadline. And then I tell myself, I have three chance of doing a feedback round for myself, right? So let's say it's a, it's a project that um, or it's kind of like a, an assets that I need to work for myself um, before I submit to my manager, right? So I give myself three chance to complete that milestones. The first time I stop working, detach myself, look at my work, take notes every, every single point, every single uh, uh, polish that I would like to do in the notes form, try not to miss it, and then I fix those, and then I do that again 
the cycle happens again and then I fix those and then the third time. So I tell myself that if I couldn't catch a problem by the third time, it's probably the, the, the issues or it's not important enough to polish. And this is where I draw the lines that it's good enough for me to push on uh, for the next phase next phases and this goes all the way and this technique actually uh, helped me even though when I uh, moved towards uh, being uh, art directors and it also helped me to uh, uh, bring the team to be more focused you know that you 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 get all your points all your your your, your uh, changes that you want to do um, lay them down read them understand them fix them and if you've done enough of that, by the third time, you're good, right? So this is kind of a, a technique that I use for myself. That's a really good technique there. Uh, Michael, uh, do you want to pick up the next answer? Um, I mean, I, I think it's a very interesting question and I do agree that it's uh, one of those questions that we ask ourselves all the time. Um, my experience is like if we, take a, a large project like the, the kind of stuff that we work on as an example what we tend to do uh, and, and most a lot of projects will do this is uh, working and um, like from an art perspective creating visual targets and benchmarks uh, during the pre-production that we can work towards so that helps set a standard you know what what kind of visual quality are we hitting for um, and that you know, acts as a, as a guide and reference for artists, so we know, you know, this is this is the quality level we need to hit. Um, and then something that we've done way more now than 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 before is, you know, set a really good set of uh, definition of done criteria for you know each you know type of content basically. So if we take a level or um, yeah, as as an example, then we have us you know. A, a list of definition of duns from each team like so from a lighting perspective when we hit this phase you know say we have you know concept phase and a functional phase and a presentable and a shippable you know those kind of phases uh, we have a, a list of definition of done criteria that we can work towards and that help us you know make sure that at the end of this this needs to be complete so we can move on to the next thing that helps kind of identify dependencies and it helps assure that from a level perspective when when they are, are are done then that means that the lighters and the vfx artists and you know all the other audio all the other dependent crafts they have they they, they have their work kind of done for them so they can, can continue uh, as well and then i think it, it's all about you know having those you know user stories set by a producer or whoever is kind of guiding the project so we know what what are we actually working for during the sprints you know, if, if um, we should always, I think, try to focus on the sort of minimum viable product uh, until we hit alpha uh, and then after that have a period that we can actually focus on hardening or polishing what we have. So we make sure that we we actually have scoped the project correctly and we don't start polishing stuff before that point. Um, so I think it's, you know, the devil is in the details and, you know, I think you need to have a plan, but then you also need to, you know, have something a plan flexible enough so when things fail which they inevitably always will in some some regards you can kind of work around that and you have enough time to do the polishing that you at least the most critical polish that you need to do i don't know that's my answer yeah that's good and uh, johan 
Uh, yeah, I, yes, I think this this is obviously a super multifaceted question, right? Because I think it depends a little bit on where where in your art production you're looking, right? I would say if you're if you're in the kind of outsourcing business, then I'd say uh, you need to have a super clearly defined uh, set of goals, right? Like this this is this is the correct quality, hit it, and then we're good. Uh, but I, I think uh, to answer this one personally, I would say. I wouldn't imagine having more of a team that I'm working more directly with who touches the game daily and who's kind of responsible of getting it together. And then uh, and then I would actually say that I think uh, I would almost split it apart. I would say um, uh, to kind of take the, uh, to, to say, you know, enough is enough. Uh, I would bring back to myself and I would like to encourage my team to always strive for quality and I kind of would like to connect it back to your question as well Michael because I think if you can get a team who's always chasing quality uh, I, I think that is good in general and then you have to be the uh, the boring dad who goes well guys unfortunately <laughs> no more no more candy <laughs> uh, uh, anymore so, uh, so yeah I'm not sure if that was an actual answer to the question but but I in, in my experience, I, I think when, when you have a team that's really, really hungry for quality and always pushing, uh, good things tend to happen. And then I think you need to have a mature enough leadership around that to make sure it kind of takes the right shape and is uh, bottled in the right way. Nice. So, uh, Krista, what do you think of those answers? Yeah, really, really interesting. And <clears throat> I was... Uh... Uh, especially interested in hearing Alan said that that you actually critique your, yourself and your own work in that uh, very structured way, which I never do. I, that's much more organic flow for me, but I can obviously clearly see that process uh, being very good uh, with the teams, of course, and, and the same as you were talking about, Michael. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, inspiring and uh, good, good views on that. Um, and I think also maybe something I should have mentioned initially that uh, sometimes when you are pressed for for deadlines and stuff, you need to be creative to hit the deadline, and then you actually might come up with a much better solution that is uh, not just uh, more efficient, but also actually more interesting, uh, which happened uh, several times during different projects, and I find that quite interesting. Um, yeah. So thank you. Yeah, uh, Johan, it looks like you want to make a point off that. Yeah, no, I, I, I just want to also, I think you said now, Chris, that, that I think is correct. Like, because like, I think you also need to define, like, what is quality? It's not, it's not, it's not a thing, right? It's, it's the right uh, level of quality for the right time and the right product, right, and what you're doing. So, uh, I think what you just said, right, and I think that can sometimes be the difference between. An experienced team and a more junior team, right? That you, you know, maybe for the junior team, quality is more of a, uh, well, I saw this thing and it has to be that. And for the more senior team, it's like, well, actually, let's do it this way. It will go twice as fast and be 90% there. So we can do twice as much. Then obviously that is that is quality, right? So I think defining what quality is for you, I think, becomes uh, super important. I, uh, yeah, I <clears throat> want to comment. <laughs> I totally agree. And I, try to get that in there by talking about the value for the user or the customer uh, and try to get in their shoes uh, to get that perceived uh, additional value which uh, in the end would be the quality that 
that uh, I'm trying to convey. I think uh, Alan put his hand up first, so I'll go to him. Right, yeah, so it's kind of like an interesting um, things to think about this because um, where do you draw the line of quality is also very fluid depending on uh, what kind of assets you're looking at the screens, right? So, um, uh, well, we all know that in game development, we have a hero assets, you know, the main characters and things like that. But how far can you like uh, uh, kind of like uh, separate them or, or optimize this kind of workflow is that I would say uh, it can go into very, very deep uh, uh, for example, that uh, I work uh, on games, like uh, racing games before, right? So everybody thinks that um, we need to create a hero assets of a car, you know, we need to make sure the quality is, is, is up there. Yes, we do. But what if when you create the, the car itself, you don't have enough budget and time for full details for that, right? You need to utilize that budget. So what we came about is that to understand that we actually put all the details to the back of the car instead of the front. Well, this is kind of like a, a reverse of the convention thinking you know, cars, the front is, is a nice looking part, right? Why don't you put details? No, because player look at the back of the car all the time, right? So you have to put details there. So you, we need to be smart about like where to put the resources as well. So uh, that goes to a lot of like, a, a, well, for example, uh, first person shooters, all the guns details usually you will goes to like uh, on the on a one side of the of the guns right you kept all the seams on the other side yeah it's just we need to work smart on where to draw the line as well yeah and uh michael you as well yeah i totally agree and especially at the point about the you know the player value um seeing things in a bigger picture because it's very easy when as, as an artist to work in isolation and kind of you know, get tunnel vision and only focus really zoomed in when you're working in Maya, like looking at texture seams or, you know, oh, if I could just bevel that edge a little bit, it would just look so much nicer. And obviously, like we, we know and, and everyone who's working on it knows that it's probably not going to matter in the end, like the player won't notice that. Uh, most likely, like what they'll notice is the overall consistency of whatever, you know, the overall experience and in, in most cases, it's like, I think most players would also want to have a less, less, you know, gameplay bugs than a more polished, you know, texture for an asset. Because even though from an artistic point of view, it's usually vice versa, because what you show in your portfolio once the, the project is shipped is not the LODs and the, you know, the, the tech meshes, it's the actual polished beauty assets and beauty renders uh so that's kind of what you're you know what you're showing off to the world afterwards like i contributed this to this thing that's what people you know you, you think you're going to be really proud of but for the player i think it's you know making sure that you can't run through an asset or that the asset doesn't cause a bunch of you know, a bunch of performance issues that in itself is probably more important to the overall player experience so Play testing is so important in this case, you know, getting people to really look at the software uh, every day and, you know, put things into context. So you're not just focusing on one asset, but you're focusing on the overall experience. Yeah, there's some really good answers. And I love the way that you're bouncing off each other's points uh, to develop your own. That's really good. Um, so if we move on to the next question, then, uh, Alan. My question is, uh, is about art production. So um, do we do uh, the outsource 
way or uh, we do uh, most of the asset creation in-house or a little bit of mix of both, right? So the reason I'm asking is that I'm pretty sure most of the uh, production nowadays uh, will involve in uh, outsource uh, in one way or another. But it doesn't really yield a very uh, positive morale to the team as well. So I would like to discuss about what are the pros and cons of outsource and also what are the awareness that we need to have while we are doing outsourcing. Okay, uh, so uh, Johan, I've been coming to you last, so let's start with you on this one. Uh, right, outsource or in-house production question. Maybe not my strong suit, but I'll, I'll give it a go and we'll see where we where we end up. No, but I think, I mean, I think this one is, is uh, you know, obviously you would love to do everything in-house. You would love to be the tight-knit team, making great assets, looking at the build, you know, making it shine. Mm. But then reality hits, right? And you have one year to ship and you have 65 levels and 200 guns or what, you know. And I think uh, to me, I think outsource, uh, at least on bigger projects, becomes just a part of the reality of it. And then I think as a manager, I think it's how you communicate and how you work with that. So. Um, if if I ever end up on a smaller project, I would say in-house all the way. Uh, but in these larger companies and big budget projects, I think outsource is just a, it's how, how you do it uh, to, to get uh, more assets in, in faster. And then I think you need to be pretty clear in how you communicate with your in-house team and making sure they feel like they are the core team. And then we're using outsource to uh, give them value, um, you know, get more assets, get more things. And then I think it's also important to make sure that your outsource pipeline is good and that you have the right people working on that. I don't think it's the most artistic uh, skill to work with outsource partners all the time. It's, it's more around clarity and making sure they hit their goals, etc. Uh, and so, so the team in general feels that the outsource is an actual value, like I have all these assets to play with. Uh, and then I think it uh, typically works. So yeah, I'm going to go with um, for big budget, uh, big studio projects. I think outsource or, or co-diving is uh, that's just how you have to do it. Yeah, nice. And uh, Krista? Yeah, <clears throat> and like you, and I, I haven't done, done outsourcing quite some time, but uh, I would uh, I would say that uh, when, when we have done so, we have uh, the team is responsible and has developed the, the concepts and sort of the blueprint for everything. And that way it doesn't really feel like it's detached from the team i wouldn't say i haven't experienced that anyway uh, and obviously you need to clearly define exactly what you want and if you could have like a, a good long-term relation with one studio or one partner that, that has a solid understanding of the projects that you're doing and the style that you are aiming for and knows your product and knows your team and, and what you want to achieve that is obviously a, a huge leap forward. Uh, so avoiding mis, uh, misunderstandings and stuff like that. And I think communication, like you want to mention, is uh, it's absolutely crucial for uh, not just the quality, but uh, getting everything that you need. And also how it's supposed to work technically with whatever naming conventions or different uh, technical aspects of the assets that you are provided. Um, so, 
Yeah, I <clears throat> I don't have any actually negative uh, experience from that. It's like you uh, mentioned, you get this bunch of cool assets that we can now start animating or putting sound to or or whatever. And in the end, it's basically a resource question. Do we have the resources in ours or not? Or maybe we need uh, expertise. Maybe we normally don't have characters in our game, but we do in this game. And for that reason, we need a strong character animator and we just don't have that. So uh, we need to outsource it. And that really shows the team the value of, of the um, delivery that you're getting. So yeah, I think yeah, definitely there's a place for it. Uh, and obviously there's a place for in-house team as well, which is uh, that you meet every day and uh, have an understanding of the project. Yeah, uh, it looks like, uh, Johan, you have a, a point to add on to that. Uh, yeah, no, I, I just wanted to, to clarify that I, I didn't mean to kind of disconnect the outsource from, from your team. I, I think it's it's more around that. I think you need to be careful on who you put as an outsourcing manager, right? You need to find the right people for that because I think it's a it's a mistake to if if you have good artists, uh, then you need to make sure they are really up for the job of working with outsourcing because it's a you know it's a bit of a different gig. And I think a lot of uh, uh, very creative people have gone under <laughs> uh, doing doing that kind of review work. So. Uh, yeah, just want to clarify that. Yeah, I just want to uh, add on top of that because personally, I have experienced that before that I have put um, a, a superstar artist to work on uh, some outsource feedback. And sometimes um, the, the outsource task has become a, a, a sudden surge of the task that uh, the artist couldn't actually spend much time on doing a hands-on and that really create a lot of frustration. So this is kind of like a learning point for myself that um, I need to figure out where's the sweet spot for uh, any talented artist to find the balance between uh, doing the feedback with the outsource and doing their own craft as well. So, so they can't go all the way doing the feedback and, and we need them to do the feedback. Yeah, so, so that is the, the, the balance point which is very, very hard to strive. So I would say that uh, having an outsource is, it, it has, a lot of like a, a thing to think about that if you want to scale up your outsource, your internal team has to be uh, on par that or to scale up as well to handle the outsource work instead of, you know, that throw everything to whatever uh, artist that you have. Like you, you need to make sure that they have a balance on that. Uh, Michael, I'll let you speak on your answer for this one. Yeah, no, I think this is a really interesting discussion because it is part of, I guess it is just part of the reality, right? Uh, and I mean, especially in, in larger projects, at least. Um, and I mean, if we look at, say, the film industry, that has been reality for a very long time. Um, and we're kind of moving into a very similar, like the, the bridge between games and film is just kind of closing uh, every, you know, uh, all the time. Um, distributed production, I think is, is here to stay. So from my point of view, what has really helped is, you know, the clarity that we talked about around, you know, when we uh, set the goals or expectations for our, our partners that we create, you know, really good solid briefs that they can work from, that we have good documentation they can work from, same documentation, preferably um, minus, you know, potentially, you know, 
more kind of internal stuff that we want to keep internal. Uh, so they work from the same kind of source of truth and then creating that kind of culture where it is hopefully a long term relationship. So you do visits to the studio, you can do you know team building stuff uh, if you want to, like just making it so it's not just someone you're handing off something to and then you expect to get like a perfect result at the end, like it has to be you know, a collaboration, I think, uh, a back and forth. And um, I think it's it's good not just to go give away the the most boring stuff that you don't want to do. I think you can give, you know, stretch tasks for people to, for the team to try and learn more uh, complicated stuff as well, because that's a great way to kind of build the confidence of the team, because they know that they'll probably, you know, because there are a lot of studios who just see them as a disposable workforce, just do the boring stuff we don't want to do. But I think there's an uh, advantage there to kind of build a more sustainable uh, um, relationship where they get something out of it as well. They get to learn new things, they get to try new things, uh, if that makes sense for the team. If you're in a similar time zone, that really helps. I mean, it makes communication much, much easier. That's what we've noticed with studios, you know, that are maybe say in, in Spain, if we're in Stockholm and they're in Spain, like that just makes collaboration so much easier. Uh, and then working in like in engine together also makes it much easier. So it's not just an asset, uh, you know, factory. And then we do all the import and like they can work in the levels together and they, you can kind of work together and that just helps the artists feed off of each other. And then like the question about like how you manage it, like if it is like, so say if it's the art team, the in-house art team also then manages like the external teams, then I think you need to define, you know, the expectations of, is it a maximum of two outsourcing artists per in-house artist, or do you have uh, a dedicated outsourcing team in-house that, take that takes care of feedback and briefing? If you do that, I think you're gonna create like that you create a different culture within your own studio like because they will feel like the the b team basically like if you have outsourcing artists in-house which some studios do uh, i think it's probably better to just set the expectations when you hire people that outsource management will be part of your, your of, of your job but help people with time management so it doesn't become you just spend all of your day on feedbacking and briefing but rather it's you know it's a balance and you don't Kind of overload people with with outsourcing kind of management so that's my take on yeah and uh johan you've got something to add to that actually or christopher oh, okay sorry I, I thought he had his hand up as well no i i just wanted to um to talk a little bit about um because I, I talked earlier about kind of having a mission and a goal and like what are you about and what is like what are you what are you doing as a studio like what what it what is your thing and i I would say, I, like, I think it's possible to go all in-house, but then you need to be super conscious about that, right? And you need to make choices for your projects or your games that reflects being able to build uh, scalable uh, games with fewer artists. Uh, you know, if, so if you compare uh, a game like, uh, well, you know, a typical AAA game, and then with a game like No Man's Sky, for example, you know, then they lean heavily on procedural stuff. They lean heavily on generation and they lean heavily on things that you can kind of create systemically procedurally etc and that's, so I think there are ways to work without outsourcing uh, but I think you need to then figure that out kind of before you launch whatever project you're on because once the kind of cat is out of the bag uh, you need to send it to outsourcing yeah. and uh, Krista yeah I wanted to just Mentioned that uh, I I, um, I understood your point a little bit better, Alan, when you describe how the 
the uh, feedback could eat up the artist's time and how it could create a hassle and uh, and I can clearly see that could be an issue and uh, just was reminded of such an <laughs> instance but it was so long time ago but uh, yeah I can see that and at the same time I also from where I work at the moment I have been working from home now for two years and it seems like almost outsourcing and my colleagues would be kind of the same thing. It, it wouldn't really in, in practicality be any difference to me where I do my work. And so maybe the lines are a little bit blurred there for better or worse. I don't know. Do you have any comments or thoughts or experience regarding this remote or hybrid work that we do now and outsourcing? Is that really a difference between your actual colleagues and this other partner? Was that a question targeted towards anyone, Chris? Or yeah, to Alan, to... maybe. <laughs> Sorry. Um, not, not really particular sense any difference because uh, all my experience with the outsource um, has been um, cross-continent. So uh, all this while the communication has been, you know, the time zone is vastly different. It's like eight hours away. Um, so so um, having on-site uh, with the colleagues and working towards the uh, with the outsource the to, to be honest i don't really sense any much difference except the the same time zone the same uh, meetings that we can hop on immediately of course the flexibility is on that as well right um so the the answer is that i don't i don't sense much difference in that yeah but i do have a point that i want to add on is that something i learned from uh, uh having an outsource partners I, I like to call them the collaborators and partners because they 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 have contributed so much, they should be recognized as part of the development team most of the time. And one of the best thing I learned from uh, engaging outsource is their capabilities of scaling the team, which is, I would say, I would uh, uh, confidently say that for any game studio, that is always like a, a big problem to scale up, right? But for outsource company or partners, they, they can do it as fast as uh, within a month. Right, says you want to have like five artists to scale up to 15 artists, they will be like, fine, give me a month, and the next month you will get 15 artists, which is impossible for any studios. But that is so crucial when you have a fluid uh, uh, game development, especially if your games is live per se, right? You, you it's, it's it's a Halloween coming, right? And then you need the uh, Halloween skins, 15 of it, and then uh, you need this to happen, and then you don't want to keep your in-house artists to work on 15 skins and that that is not healthy for their morale as well right they want to work on something which is um, makes sense uh, uh, for the game development so this is one of a, a, a key point that I always think about when uh, when do I need outsource well this is when you know when I need a very fluid development this is this is where I, I started to think of uh, having outsource partner to help on I saw some really good answers there. I really enjoyed listening to that. Um, but last but certainly not least, Johan, uh, your question. Uh, yes, thanks. Uh, so my question was around uh, creative autonomy in uh, our teams. Um, and that is, and I think we've been touching upon this in the other topics in, in ways, right? And that is how you uh, because in your art team you will have a lot of people and they have a lot of skill set and a whole lot of desire and a lot of drive. 
and then you want to make sure that they can use that drive uh, in the best way, right? And there's, you know, if you talk to people, there are a lot of talks about empowering, empowerment, and kind of making people uh, make decisions, make choices, etc. But I think then uh, sometimes when you meet the reality of production, that can become hard, right? It's, you know, okay, why do I have to do this when I could do it this way instead? So, so my question is more around. Uh, how you can get the best of both worlds? How can you make uh, people feel like they have a, a strong sense of creative autonomy, a strong sense of being empowered and being able to make their own decisions while maintaining the needs for the project and deadlines, etc. at the same time? Okay, so uh, does anyone want to go first on this one? Alan? Right, I can go first. Um, I would think of um, having a good documentation and also the art direction or art style or whatever we call it. Um, uh, most of the time I call it the art Bible. Uh, it's, it's very, very important for the team to understand where are we going for this project, right? Um, apart from that, uh, my past experience is that I always wanted uh, the, the artist to, to see and to feel whatever uh, the art direction is heading towards. For example, if this project is inspired by a piece of media, say a film or uh, an anime or a, a music, this is the things that uh, become like a compulsory, well, it's not compulsory per se, but I would like, strongly recommend all the artists to, to consume those medias or to consume that piece of things that inspired uh, the, the, the art styles. Um, uh, with that said, I also strong believer in um, art direction is not a vision from art director. Well, art director is there to to facilitate to make sure that uh, we are going into the right direction of the team. So the team composition helps to drive where the art style and direction go going towards. And art director is to make sure that we don't go into the wrong turn. Um, we, we understand the business needs of the projects. We understand that uh, what, what are the target audience that we're going towards and heading. And we know exactly what we want to achieve as an end goal. I mean, how do you want the player to feel about your games? Uh, but basically, those, those are the things is like uh, what the, the art director's role leads towards. It's kind of hurting the art, artist to going towards uh, the direction. But you're not really restrictive telling them uh, what should be done and what should be not. And letting the artist to understand that uh, we are in this together and your, your opinion and your creativity is as, as important as any of us. Uh, I think that gives a lot of like a sense of um, ownerships. Yeah, I mean, uh, that really drives the, the creative autonomy over there. That is what I think it is. Uh, Michael, do you want to go next? Yes, um, I think you know, like what 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 Alan said um, resonates a lot with me as well. I think to add on to to that, I think it, you need a really solid vision for the project, and I think that needs to be driven uh, mainly by the producers. Uh, obviously, reinforced through um, the art directors and and the entire team, but. It, uh, I feel like someone who has a really, really strong vision for what they want the game to be, um, that makes a world of difference. And it's so easy, like when we have large projects that it just feels like, you know, what, what are we doing? And everyone works in different, you know, small silos, basically. Um, and then, you know, you, you fail to see the bigger picture. Um, something that I think works depending on, and this doesn't work for every craft, but some uh, 
perhaps smaller teams it does, but having you know cross-functional teams also I think uh, helps a lot. Um, so it's you know say uh, if you're working you know doing like weapons or vehicles, you have you know one 3D artist and one animator and one VFX artist and you know the, the, a designer and um, etc. That kind of gives more autonomy for them to kind of solve the issues that they want to solve together uh, so it doesn't become just like the full assembly line uh, production. Um, and then another thing that I think that, that, that we have started doing uh, more is, you know, having uh, the, the role of like product owners. So usually the product owners will be a producer, but it can also be a designer or an artist as well. Someone with a really strong interest in um, you know, setting a vision and kind of like doing the more production side for for that you know feature, and that helps give more autonomy to to uh, individuals who are very very passionate about the feature that they're working on, and then people feed off of that passion because I think everyone wants to work for someone who really loves what they're doing and want it to be the best in the world. Um, I think that that fuels a lot of people uh, because we all want to make you know. 90 plus Metacritic games in the end. Uh, so that I think you know, puts some of the ownership back into into the dev team where m sometimes in many, many places it doesn't exist, but there's you know a top layer and then everyone just follows the top layer. But here you can kind of seamlessly kind of infuse more ownership within the teams by having those you know more less formal product owner roles. Yeah, that was definitely a good point about um, you know assigning people to kind of uh, push the uh, the vision in a certain direction. Oh, I really like that, uh, Krista. What's your answer? Yeah, I think yeah, <clears throat> if you can uh, relay or communicate uh, trust that uh, people will feel comfortable in uh taking on talks and uh, solving them in, in the best best way that they think uh, for for the product at hand or, or the task at hand uh, if you can build that uh, trust within the team that uh, will actually be a, a very good ground for uh, yeah people being proactive uh, and Maybe not just sitting around wait, waiting for instructions or uh, uh, feedback or whatever, but um, take their matters in their own hands, so to speak. And uh, like uh, Michael said, doing the, the best that the product needs and um, yeah, hitting it, hitting it like an ace, if you can say that in English. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I much. think yeah, trust. Uh, yeah trusty environment and uh, basically a safe environment where where you feel comfortable uh, within the team. Yeah, Johan, what are your thoughts on those answers? I think they were good answers. I I um, I agree strongly with what you're saying about trust, Christer. I think it's like super important uh, because I, I spend a lot of time thinking about this and I, to me it's it's almost like I think about it most like frames. Like here's a there, there's a frame you need to be within, but within it you can do whatever you want. Because I think it's the key or the trick is to make sure that when you give that trust and you say, okay, oh, I'm empowered, I can do whatever I want, great. Then that thing that gets produced must be right, because otherwise you violate the trust, and then it's going to be twice as hard to do it again, right? So 
I think it's a really tricky balance act of making sure you have the correct vision, the correct framing around what you're doing, and then just trusting your team to do the right thing. Because that's what you want as a manager anyway, right? Like you want to make people make you look good. Like, oh man, it's like amazing stuff, uh, Landmark. It's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, um, so, uh, so yeah, I think I think a, a trust a trusting team and a, and a, a place where they are, you know, where they feel safe to to do work and push boundaries and and come up with cool stuff. I think that's that is really good. Yeah, uh, Alan, you want to make a point off of that? Yes, I think uh, that that is a very interesting. Uh, uh... Uh, point that I want to uh, uh, share my personal experience also is that uh, on one of our projects is that we want to create a character which is uh, we want to create a character that has uh, a lot of a style stylization so um, but the thing is that to create a stylized art um, it's not something that is very easy in the in the uh, team environment because um, uh, for example, my team has like a three different uh, character artists that likes to produce different types of character styles. Right? When, you you, when we talk about a stylization, and um, how, uh, but which means that also that I I can't really put them into what um, Johan says the frame for them to to have a creative freedom because it will be all over the place. There are no frame there. Uh, the you, you can't just tell them to I, I I need this to be stylized and then all of them will, will produce quite a different uh, styles even though the guideline is there right so what happened is that we actually uh, take a step back we get our principal artist to fly from London to Stockholm to actually conduct a, a workshop and we're talking about like a, a, a long workshops uh, not just like one or two days, but kind of like a, a weeks of workshop to to get them to sit together and look at it. All right, so we need to get everybody to to the even ground. Um, you you need to learn about drawing this, learn about drawing that as a basis, and then to the point where everybody uh, is comfortable to 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 do to draw the the styles or to to reach the levels that you can get the freedom. You fall into that brackets. Um, that that is when we say that all right now uh, the, the the artist is ready to produce, you know, uh, because everybody is on the same page. They understand that what the project needs is, and now they have the tools, they have the skill set. Now, go wild! You can be creative now. Yeah. Right, so I feel that brings us kind of neatly to a conclusion there at the end of uh, Johan's question. Uh, so yeah, we'll leave it there. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. Uh, I want to take an opportunity to just thank our guests here, Michael, Johan, Krista, Alan, for provide, providing your insights into the topic and thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to get involved with the podcast coming up, reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at adam.miller-betridge at evolution-nordics.com. See you next time. <laughs>